welcome to the Game of the Year podcast for the Open Hearth gaming community. My name is Lowell, pronouns he, him, and I'm the current community manager for Open Hearth. For this episode, members of the community submitted audio clips with their picks for 2023. Not necessarily new games, but the games they played or read during the year which stuck with them. The community creates and drives almost everything we do in Open Hearth. Our Shared Hearth Open Gaming Weekend, our Game Facilitator Camps, the yearly Star Wars Minicon, our Gameway Program for Marginalized Gamers, Playtesting Weekend, and so much more. Open Hearth is an online gaming community focused on safety and bringing people into online play. We use a gaming calendar at Playable and have a Patreon which supports our work. You can find out more about everything we do at openhearthgaming.com. Veteran podcast editors Rich Rogers and Rob Abrazado graciously volunteered to help put together this massive episode. They each assembled and edited a third of it, and then I finished things out with amateur skills and talents. We hope you'll enjoy this and maybe find a game or two you'll want to play in 2024. Hi, everyone. This is Rob Abrazado. In just a little bit, you'll be hearing from a lot of my fellow Open Hearth Gaming community members talking about their favorite games of 2023. It's been a big year. The community launched under the Open Hearth banner, and we've held an open gaming weekend, welcomed a bunch of new community members, held game facilitator camps, and of course played hundreds of sessions of the finest role-playing and story games around. I'm so proud to be a member of this community, and I hope I get the chance to share a gaming table with each and every one of you. It turns out that my favorite game this year is the friends I made along the way. All right, all right. I hope you all have a great year, and happy gaming, everyone. Hello, my name is Ian Mitchell. I've been playing games with the open hearth for about a year, and my game of the year is Fathom by Brenda McLeod and Matthew Guzdial. Based on the resistance framework popularized by games like Spire, The City Must Fall, and Heart, The City Beneath, Fathom also incorporates some aspects of Forged in the Dark rules in its design. When I ran this as a quarterly series on the open hearth, I name-checked movies like Constantine and Hellboy, TV shows like Severance and The X-Files, and anime like Paprika and Yu Yu Hakusho as inspiration. The game takes place in The City, a sort of gestalt that can stand in for any large city in our current day of late-stage neoliberal capitalism. The player characters are residents of this city called Drifters, who are marked as exceptional by their connection to a bizarre dimension called the Unreal. As the Drifters dive further into the Unreal, the concrete and rational give way as the metaphorical and subjective is made manifest, with each new fathom revealing deeper, more implicit aspects of people, places, and phenomena in this city. The Drifters' connection to the Unreal grants them strange, often frightening powers. Example playbooks include The Media, a digital warlock who can use their control of the internet to copy-paste and edit in the real world. The Velveteen, an Unreal entity who has decided to play at being human for a while. And The Reaper, an emissary of death itself. And many more. Using these weird abilities, the drifters embark on jobs to hunt unreal monsters, pull heists, solve mysteries, and so on. What I like about this game is its juxtaposition of the deeply bizarre against a kind of mundanity that most players will be familiar with, day-to-day life in a big city. 
Despite their incredible abilities, the drifters still have day jobs and lives, they have dogs to walk and parents to call and rent to pay. Unlike Heart the City Beneath, which can become unremittingly weird to the point of exhaustion in my experience, in Fathom, the everyday is always close at hand to serve as a baseline for comparison. It's in the blurring of the lines between the unreal and the unremarkable reality that we all experience that the most compelling play is to be had, in my opinion. What I'm not so sure of here is the number of rules and layered subsystems that exist in the game at this point. There are quite a few procedures to keep track of in any Sparked by Resistance game, and this one has the added mission downtime structure that you might be familiar with from Blades in the Dark and its derivatives, and that can be an unintuitive process for the uninitiated player to navigate. It's worth mentioning that the game is in development, it's currently in version 0.35, and I'm very interested to see where it ends up. However, what has set this game apart from any number of other urban fantasy games for me is the power and specificity of McLeod and Gustial's writing. The book is an invitation to consider a very familiar world through the lens of the surreal and alien, and an explicit writ of permission to break the evocative rules that they set out in the name of play. If you can handle some occasionally unwieldy mechanics, Fathom is sure to show you a great, weird time. Hi, everybody. This is Jose, and I am speaking to you from California. My game of the year is Monster Hearts, which I have had the privilege of GMing over the past year a few times, and I have been having an insane amount of fun with it. How can I say what I love about this game? I think at the core of it is that the game is so laser-focused on relationships. and The moves, the basic moves, are all about relationships. They're elegant, they're streamlined. And from the moment you get together in session zero and start creating the homeroom, and I've been creating these mirror boards where that just has all the relationships between the characters and the NPCs with their divisive motivations and et cetera. And then the narrative structure just gets to emerge organically and spontaneously from these relationships. And I just find that that's what makes for great storytelling when plot and narrative is really an expression of relational dynamics. And so that's what I love about this game so much. Uh, It's like a tapestry on which to embroider. I can embroider complications as a GM now onto the relationships. And then whatever happens will happen. And the other thing I love about the game is that it really encourages such collaborative storytelling and scene building. I never have to go in with pre-established scenes or scenarios. I can just open up the floor and ask folks what they really want to see in terms of the scenes. Mostly, I start with who do you want to have a scene with, again, following that relational focus. So I love that about the game. And I think I'm getting better at shepherding players toward more cinematic storytelling so that we can move more fluidly between kind of writer's workshop, stepping back, and then really immersing into first-person storytelling. So thank you to all the amazing players who have been playing in my games. I've had such a great time with you all and enjoying your imaginations and your creativity. And thank you also to the play culture of the open hearth which is what makes it all possible. Happy New Year. Hello, Open Hearth friends and listeners. My name is Matt, and my game of the year for 2023 is Wickedness, a three-player tarot-based game by M. Veselak, put out by Possum Creek Games. 
Wickedness follows the tale of exactly three coven mates throughout their lives at the sanctuary as they try to keep balance between the kingdom that they live in and the underworld, a land of peril and magic that menaces them. At the beginning of the game, you create the truths of the setting. You decide which of the three will be the pure heart, which will be the old soul, and which will be the wild spirit. You use the major arcana to create the characters, and it's a very fun process. You also create the kingdom, the underworld, and the sanctuary that the coven lives in before you get to the Deck of Troubles. This is where the majority of the game takes place. A card is drawn from the deck, and the coven then decides how to approach the challenge based on the prompts given. I'm going to read an example. Uh, if the Knight of Coins is drawn, the merchant caravans carrying our spell regents, among other precious things, have been blockaded by a great beast. The pure heart will decide what dreadful form it takes, and the old soul will tell us its terrible power. If we're going to practice our craft undiminished, the creature must be dealt with, and if we solve this challenge with wisdom, we may add a new wonder to our sanctuary. You can solve challenges with wisdom using the cards you've accumulated. You can solve them with true magic, which means striking one of the sources of power, which always hurts because they're always very delightful, sometimes friends, sometimes wonders. And the last way you can deal with the challenge is to take a folly to fail the challenge and draw a wisdom card, which shows how you've grown and shows that these very powerful people are real people and are flawed and don't always make the best decisions. The game is very beautiful. It comes in three zines of different colors that are covered in gold leaf. The art and detailing is very lovely. The game always comes to a nice end and spans a large period of time, which is always very fun. You get a very personal story and also a very large story. You get to face kingdom-toppling challenges and, and describe great feats of magic while also just exploring what life is like with these three people. Um, they are roommates, and they are sometimes messy, and they don't always treat each other well, and it's as much a story of witches as it is of queer community. There is a wonderful actual play on YouTube that features J-Dragon, Jiyun Shim, and Brennan Lee Mulligan. It is so delightful. It features many heartbreaking plot twists and many wonderful bird facts. And I highly recommend checking it out if this game sounds interesting to you. I've never played a game that's for three players exactly, and it was something very new to me, and I hope I get to play it again. That's all for now. Happy gaming, everybody. Hi, everyone. This is Donna. to talk about my favorite RPG of the year. I've played 70 different RPGs this year so far. Picking one favorite is as difficult as ever. So here are some honorable mentions to solve my conscience. I've got to shout out, as a one-shot, the amazing Art LARP Pictures in an Exhibition by Halden Ingerson and Miles Lezak. As a duet, the equally uncomfortable companion to his Turks, The Policy of Truth by Jason Morningstar. And in the campaign, Cthulhu Dark by Gray Malmsey. Our home group has been using it in a longer campaign with the Armitage Files from Trail of Cthulhu and the Berlin Wicked City sourcebook from Call of Cthulhu. We're hurtling towards our final showdown right now, and it's been a blast. But I've lied. I can't really choose between these two for Game of the Year for me. 
The first is Be Seeing You by Tanya Floker, a game mostly inspired by the classic British TV show The Prisoner, where we follow that character's residence in the village, where any and all attempts to suborn or turn them must surely fail. The surrealism and approaches of control made this an instant hit with the group back in February, whether or not the players were familiar with the original show, and I'd love to get this back on the calendar again at some stage in the near future. The other one is an urban Asian OPG Capitalites by Samuel Mui. We found the playsets great as a starting point, but the drama creation engines that were our characters really drove all the action. The genius of the picklists that made us wish we could take them all, but I especially love those extra setting details we established at the start, where we dove into the tension between generational values, the tyranny of the fashionable, and the crushing expectations our characters lived under. Uh, so that's it for me. Hope I see you in the new year and that you've got a great holiday in the meantime. Hi, this is Ethan Harvey, and I've had a year with many great campaigns, but I'm going to talk about Bump in the Dark, which is a game by Jax Thomas. It occupies the same genre niche as Monster of the Week, but I think the system, which kind of attaches carved from Brindlewood clues to a forged-in-the-dark skeleton, fits the structure and tropes of that genre better. Mark ran a six-week campaign for Anders, Jose, David, and me. It has a specific setting. It's very evocative and detailed, and it's a named town, but it still has enough blank spaces to create new details, new places, new NPCs. So we ended up with our own setting, with a lot of flavor, lots of really cool factions to deal with. I wish we'd had a chance to see more of them in action. And lots of recurring NPCs who became important to the plot and important to our character. It had a lot of mystery and action scenes, but there was also plenty of time for character interaction and roleplay, which was always a joy with these players who created some really cool PCs. We never lacked for something to do. There was a lot going on, and there was always hints of more going on that we could have investigated. So we played for about six weeks, but easily could have made it a quarterly, and I am hoping to play it again sometime. Hi, I'm Anya, aka at Darkade. I've been with the community for a couple of years, and for a while, most of the games I played, other than with my home group, were here. This past year was a bit different. The past year has been very hectic in my life, and by extension, my gaming life. I found an in-person community and started running there, then I moved cities and lost that, so I began recording games more consistently, in part to keep in touch with the people I met. All this change meant that I was exposed to new styles of gaming that I hadn't experienced and was able to bring my own style and, in part, the open heart style to new communities. I tried Demon Hunters, a very fun game inspired by Fate's aspects, where we are a team of, well, Demon Hunters, for whom this is just the week's job. And I saw actual sand clocks and props being used to great effect on the table for the first time. And that's just one of several games that really informed and actually reshaped the way that I run now. I also had the chance to collaborate with a few people to publish games and supplements, and that felt really great. Like I've got my feet in the actual gaming space. In the open heart community and with the new playable calendar, I run a couple of games. Mothership, Old School Essentials, 5e, and I've been running my first quarterly, The Mecha Hack. The Mecha Hack is amazing. It's a super light OSR style game that somehow creates a ton of variety with very simple easy rules. 
but my favorite part is that you feel the mechas. You see how it feels in the genre and how you can bend it to make it your own. But two games do stand out from the others, Mobile Frame Zero Firebrands and Mouse Ritter. I've wanted to play Firebrand since Rich and Rage first talked about it. It pushes so much of what I thought about gaming. And when I finally print five booklets and got it to a table, not only did we play it, we stayed three more hours talking about game design because it simply broke us all. As good as the experience was, I think it's not the best game to play online, but I'm working on it. And finally, Mouse Ritter, which has to be my game of the year. My home group started playing it in August, and it's been going strong. Mouse Reader is an OSR game based in Nave, Kern, and Into the Oath. Games that were super streamlined on their own. And then it takes that framework and adds a simple but diverse toolkit for hex crawling and truly elevates experience. If you are curious about the old school renaissance, I think right now you can get a better introduction to it than Mouse Reader. Every single aspect of the book adds to the game and makes it great. Thank you. Have a great gaming year. Hi, my name's Horst, and my favorite game of 2023 is Mythic Bastionland by Chris McDowell. At its core, Mythic Bastionland is a hex crawl about knights going on quests in a pseudo-medieval setting. I like the game because it is an interesting spin on the traditional hex crawling formula. So Chris McDowell cut away all the stuff that is less interesting and focuses just on the quests, which are called myths in the system. There's no uh, resource management and there are no mundane random encounters. When you do roll a random encounter, it will always be associated with a myth. So every myth has six omens and the player characters will encounter these omens in the order that they are written down. The myths are also very diverse. There's the classic mythical beast, like the worm. Then there are myths that introduce new factions to the realm, like a new religion or an invading army. There are myths that forces the players to choose sides, put them into a dilemma. There are even myths that change the landscape of the realm. And I'm working off the quick start rules, which just have 12 myths. The final product will have 72 myths and 72 unique knights. Which brings me to my favorite part of the game, which is the seers. The seers are like strange merlins that give guidance to the players. Their special position within the realm, they're outside of the normal authority is highlighted by the fact that they are part of the oath. The knights swore an oath to protect the weak, to seek out the myths, and to honor the seers. And naturally, Chris McDowell went out of his way to make them as strange and aloof and gross and annoying as possible. Finally, the book is just gorgeous. The color palettes are warm and earthy, and the art style of Alex Sorensen fits the vibe that the book is going for perfectly. Hi there, Mike here from just west of nowhere. 2023 was the first year I started expanding my RPG experience beyond D20-based hack and slashes. Part of that journey had me joining the open hearth, and since then I've played three games with the community. 
It all started with a madcap hour-long game of Lasers and Feelings by John Harper, where I played a plucky young ensign. The simple mechanics of this game, coupled with a relatively high player count, led to rapid spotlight switching, which contributed to a high-octane feeling that was absolute magic, even if I did stay up until 1am to participate. After that, I joined a heartfelt quarterly game of The Veil Iterations. Originally by Fraser and Carl Simons, this iteration is a hack by Lowell Francis, who also ran the game. I played an empath navigating a cyberpunk world that feared and hated them, supported by a close group of friends, one who was a keeper of a dangerous secret, and two undergoing transformations with varying levels of intentionality. Mechanically, the game uses constantly fluctuating emotional state as modifiers on each role, which is a great way to really get into the headspace of the characters, especially when you can sense and manipulate the emotions of people around you. Rounding out the year is another quarterly, this time playing a merchant in Free from the Shadows. This is a fantasy samurai hack of Free from the Yoke, itself spun out of Legacy Life Among the Ruins. This one is also written and run by Lowell, based off of the original by Fyodor Kasatkin and Jay Isles. The amount of collaborative world building that we have done has been phenomenal. We had one session with three side characters that I'm still thinking about weeks later, and after spending a few sessions building up the Empire and the fortunes of our individual clans, we've just had a 10-year time jump, and I'm really looking forward to bringing in a fresh-faced character who really wants to upset the new status quo. Thank you so much to the community for making me feel so welcome, especially to those players and GMs that have shared their storytelling time and expertise with me. I look forward to telling more amazing stories with all of you in 2024. Speaking of, I read more games than I play, and there are a couple I read this year that really jumped out of the page and have taken up resonance in my brain. First off is Court of Blades by Sean and Navi Drake. This is a forged-in-the-dark game of fantasy political intrigue. What really grabbed my attention is what it does to the faction game, elevating a handful of them to the status of major houses, which each get to run schemes in the background that the players can catch wind of and thwart or support whichever benefits your personal house. I loved it so much that I spent some time writing a simulator for it, and spent many hours watching political situations unfold on the screen. I'd love to throw some player-driven chaos agents into the mix, and see what unfolds. The second game that grabbed my attention this year is Arcane Crimes Division by Dale Elvey. This one is a fantasy buddy cop game, where player characters are teamed up and each given a case to solve. After your briefing, it's a race against the clock, to solve the crime before the situation escalates. Special powers are fueled by interactions with your partner, and if you cause too much collateral damage, you can get yelled at by the chief, busted down to patrol, or even be burdened with the dreaded paperwork. If either of these sound good to you, let me know. Who knows, maybe 2024 is the year I run my first game on the open hearth. Hi, my name is Chaotic, and my game of the year is once again The Between. It is the game I played most this year. It's a game about Victorian monster hunters in London solving murders and mysteries, and I just like it a lot. Compared to my second most played game on my list this year, it has reached the four times amount I've played. So yeah, I just really like that system, and I uh, wish people played it even more than I did. Hey, this is Machinic here, talking about my game of the year. The one that I most enjoyed playing was Jeff DeTurley's longtime listener, last time caller. It was way back in March, run by Madeline Colley. And I really enjoyed playing multiple characters with the video turned off and just listening to everyone else and the characters that they brought forth. And in particular, I'll always remember Junji who was at home in the attic 
in the end as the last caller. A very close second would be in October playing Alien World, which is Jason Zane's game that brings like Zombie World and Cartel and Alan's Alien Dark and Against the Dark Conspiracy games together in a compelling way where you can tell Xenomorph-inspired stories. This run had a Jaws theme, and I got to play with Mark W. and my character Dell, the savant Xenocultist, may or may not have contributed to a very bad day for Margaret Santos. Sorry, Mark. I uh, had a lot of fun. I think that Jason's done a really great job pulling all of his influences together in that game. It's a lot of fun. That's all I got. Thanks. Hello, Open Hearth and fans of the Open Hearth. This is Rich Rogers, formerly of Cannon Puncture and Voice of the Revolution and also Plus One Forward, several podcasts that have faded into obscurity. I'm here to talk about my favorite game of 2023, going through a list. So starting off, this year I decided to launch a new thing for Open Hearth called MCU Sundays, Marvel Cinematic Universe Sundays, where I got to run a lot of supers-themed RPGs, bopping around in the timeline of the MCU movies and also the Disney Plus content, the gluts and gluts of content, had some incredible times with MCU Sundays. Started off with Galaxies in Peril, which Mark Major ran, and we had an excellent time with that. It was so much fun. Uh, Jumped on to Demigods, which was amazing. A Forge in the Dark hack that I ran called Mace, which was a spin on S.H.I.E.L.D., and that was super good. There were lots of other smaller MCU Sundays games that I adored. I look forward to more of it in 2024. For my home group, it was all X-Men all the time. It started with masks. Then as folks couldn't make it, we decided, hey, instead of continuing the masks game, let's try some other stuff. So I ran a hack of Troll Babe, a hack of my own Hit the Streets. I also ran some Power Beyond Doubt and Alt Timeline, and we just recently did another Force in the Dark, Mutants in the Night. I can't believe all the Force in the Dark, so much, so much. But it was, we even started into, in between sessions, some play-by-posts. We've been doing that for a couple months now. It's brilliant fun. Star Wars Saturdays continued. I am up to 96 different RPGs played or run in Star Wars, none of them the official Star Wars RPGs, because I'm just obstinate that way. I would say one of my favorites, new experiences, was Stellar Conflict, which was this old Dungeon World hack that I only saw on Google+, thanks to Brian Lotz for suggesting it to me, and then uh, waiting for me to actually re-rediscover it and reminding me of it. That was awesome and hilarious. Stellar Conflict is a pretty solid chassis. We made a lot of updates and tweaks to it as we played. It was a great group of folks. I did an OSR 5-in-1 this year where I ran five, although it ended up being four because of scheduling, four different OSR sci-fi games set in Star Wars with the same set of characters. Very interesting and fun. Continued on with Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells, which was another OSR game after the little experiment. 
just recently running some Infinite Galaxies, a PBTA game from Rory McLeod, who's played with the Open Hearth group. So lots of fun with Star Wars Saturdays this year. Can't wait to hit 100 different RPGs played in Star Wars. The goal is for it to happen around May the 4th. And those are my games of the year for 2023. Hi there, this is Tyler Womanak, and I am giving my favorite game of 2023, which was Mountain Home, a Forged in the Dark game by Carl Shear. I got to play six months with Lowell Francis running, and my fellow players were Patrick and Sherry and Ethan. And this game had everything I love. It had world building, it had city building, it had politics, it had adventures, and most of all, it had dwarves! We had a blast playing it. I created one of my favorite characters probably I've ever made, and by the end, uh, when we hit epilogues, it even brought a tear to my eye. The gameplay was very enjoyable as far as Forged in the Dark games go. It had a lot of different variables to work with, a lot of different space for you to have a different type of campaign, no matter who you came in with or what you decided to do. It was first rate. And that is my favorite game of the year. Hi, this is Will Hobson, otherwise known as Will H. on the Open Hearth. And my pick of 2023 is Star Trek. Now, this is actually two series, so I'm cheating a little bit. But basically, in 2023, I did not play as much on the Open Hearth as I did in previous years, mostly because I'm trying to game with local friends and get them, you know, wean them off the D&D addiction and put them onto PBTA and other games. And it's going pretty well so far. Um, but, you know, what I did play on the Open Hearth was, as always, absolutely great. Honorable mentions go to Working Group Marathon in Delta Green, the Jason's Game of Alien World, the Lowell's Fearful Symmetries, Alan's Yotan Weird, and Donna's Copperhead County. But overall, it's got to be Star Trek. We played two different games of Star Trek using two different systems. It's a bit of a cheat, but it started off with the voyages of the USS Kintsugi and Modiphius's 2D20 run by Lowell. And to be honest, that was a complete eye-opener in how much potential Star Trek has as an RPG setting. There's really something about that blend of high concepts, of action, of that soap opera sort of relationship between the ongoing cast and the underlying sort of principles of Gene Roddenberry, you know, that benevolence, that idealism, that hopefulness, even in the face of things of otherworldly threats and high drama and disaster, Star Trek is really about trying to save people, trying to make things better, and the idea that you can. And I absolutely love that. Star Trek really lets you tell lots of different stories, and I can't wait to play more of it, to be honest with you. So after Lowell's game of 2D20, we ran, uh, Alan took over the GM reins and we took it into Fate of the Quadrant, a completely different system featuring a completely different crew and a completely different ship, this time the Voyages of the USS Monty. But it really it fit together. And I suppose what I'm really loving about Star Trek is that we get to make this semi-canonical open hearth Star Trek continuity, that there's enough room between what we've seen on the TV and in the movies of Star Trek to always tell more stories, always more interesting stories, always more interesting takes. And I just don't think there's been anything like it. You know, as much as I love superheroes, Star Wars Saturdays, I mean, I was a Star Wars kid growing up, but basically playing in Star Trek's kind of brought balance to my love of different types of geekery. Playing Star Trek Adventures 
got me into Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. It's got me back on rewatching The Next Generation. As much as I don't think that the systems that we played in really had as much to do with it as the players and the setting, they did have a really interesting hook, which was the idea of quick characters. You know, you play your primary character, then you swap over to a quick character whenever you want to pick them up for narrative reasons. You know, so you get to play your bridge team, then you get to play the lower deck staff or the ensigns, the away teams. It lets you introduce red shirts. It lets you introduce people to care about. It lets you build up a sort of ensemble of NPCs. You can swap between players. So it reminded me of Band of Blades. And frankly, it's something that I'd love to see in more games. And it's nice to see that there's a mechanical structure for that. But anyway, that's my pick for 2023. I can't wait to play more in the Open Earth Star Trek continuity. And I hope everyone lives long and prospers in 2024. Peace out, guys. Hi, I'm Mark. My game of the year for 2023 is Bump in the Dark by Jex Thomas. Bump in the Dark is a Forged in the Dark game about monster hunting in the small Rust Belt city of Last Pine in the 1990s. The characters play hunters who together form a pact to keep Last Pine safe. I ran two series of Bump this year and each was an absolute blast. The players in each series were amazing and really ran with the premise. Thanks so much to Mads, Donna, L, Ethan, Undesh, and Jose. The mystery system that uh, Jax adapted from other games works beautifully, and the genre-specific flavor Jax lent to the Forged and the Dark system is excellent. You'll definitely see Bump in the Dark on the calendar in 2024. Hello, my name is Undesh Gabrielsson, and this year I don't have a favorite game. I have played a lot of really enjoyable games, including Apocalypse Keys, several of Rich Rogers' Star Wars Saturdays and MCU Sunday games, and uh, Lowell's Hearts of Yokai Changeling hack. I've also played some uh, interesting solo games, including Starforged, and some puttering around with Fall of Magic all on my own. But I haven't played any one game that has stood out to me as being head and shoulders above the rest. I've had a great gaming year with many interesting and enjoyable games, but no single rule set that has stood out to me. And I hope, frankly, that that continues, because why should you just play one game when there are so many to choose from? It's fair to say that I've played less and run less this year than in previous years, but having fewer games to choose from has not made this any easier. I suppose among the games I've played, an honourable mention to Lowell Star Trek Adventures quarterly, for reasons that will become apparent, but I think probably if I was selecting a game of the year from among those that I've played, it would be, again, Lowell, running Trail of Cthulhu using the Fearful Symmetries setting, which I find just fascinating. You know, it's a deep dive into British myth and legend and a fantastic group of 1920s would-be esoterics. In terms of games I've enjoyed running most, well, as previously mentioned, Star Trek Adventures reminded me how much of a Trekkie I am, really. 2D20 is not quite for me, I think, to run. 
inspired by Star Trek Adventures, I hacked fate into Fate of the Quadrant. And I had just such joy running those sessions, running for the crew of the USS Montgomery. That was just delightful. I had such a lot of fun. But I, I do also want to mention another game I ran this year. It's 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 not quite finished yet, but it's a quarterly of Jotunweird, which is my game in endless development of Dark Age Heroes. But the reason I want to mention it is not not really because it's my game of the year. It's not a candidate. It's not a finished game. But it it does illustrate the generosity of open hearth players. Because though this game has been in development now for years, it's not until you get some really good, thoughtful, generous players around the table that you finally begin to twig where the fine tuning is. And shout out to my players this quarterly for the joy of running for you, but also the value that you've given me in making final tweaks to that game. So that's the preamble. In the end, my game of the year is going to be Fearful Symmetries, not least because Sherry, Sherry, you, you played the American in the Court of King Arthur in the sense that you played the stage magician who is in 1920s Oxford and the rest of the country with a skill that I don't think any of us ever, have ever thought that Trail of Cthulhu contained, which was, but I'm an American. It was a delight. It was a delight to see you, you know, wrestling with early 20th century British mores. That has been an absolute joy. And I, I do hope we return to that setting at some point to see how those characters developed. So Fearful Symmetries, that's my game of the year for this year. Absolutely stonking. Thank you. Oh, my name's Alan. Hi, I'm Michael also known as K-pop and RPGs on the community. I've played many games this year, but one stands out. Before I get to that, I just want to give a shout out to my runner-up, which is Thursday by Eli Sides. It's a belonging outside belonging game about people caught in a time loop. Touchstones are the TV show Russian Doll and the movie Groundhog Day. I ran it for the Open Hearth community in summer and I'm still fascinated by its narrative structure. But now let's get to my actual game of the year. To be honest, figuring out which game to choose wasn't easy at first, but then I realized there's one game I spent a lot of time with this year. At first I watched an actual play of it. Later, I played in a two-shot, and currently I'm a player in a campaign. In addition to that, I ran it as a one-shot last month, and recently I started a campaign. And I have to say, it's been fun and different each of those times. It's also the game that gave me the most bleed this year, and the game that captured my imagination the most. It's Public Access by Jason Cordova. To sum it up, it's a game about a group of people who investigate strange mysteries in a fictional town in New Mexico in the early 2000s. I have to admit, it took me quite a while to fully appreciate Carved from Brindlewood games. I played many of them, but Public Access was actually the first one I wanted to run. I love the blend of nostalgia and horror this game provides. 
the mysteries are really interesting, the NPCs are fun, and the setting of this uh, weird small town in New Mexico is quite evocative. It's really easy to run, which I appreciate a lot. So you see, I'm quite excited about public access, and I can't wait to play more of it over the next month. Hi, my name's Shane, and my favourite game of 2023 is Speed Rune by Aaron King. It's a rules-light, ancient world fantasy game. Uh, I first heard it described as a sort of alternative system for running RuneQuest, and I'm not much of a fantasy person generally. I'm not a Glorantha person at all. I didn't really know what RuneQuest was, so I didn't have a lot of interest. But when I read the game and then started running it, I realized that it totally rules. It's simple, it's really fun, it has a good balance of light-hearted and more serious moments. Uh, the adventures that Aaron has published for it have been great. But what makes it not just a good game, but actually my favorite game of the year, is that it balances and connects action and community in ways that I find uh, moving and mechanically powerful in a really unique way. I feel like Aaron has really thought about what it means to be in community for all that's good and bad and challenging and uh, joyous about it. The game starts with an image of community that draws from both anthropology and fantasy, so it isn't just a sort of projection of our own modern contemporary experience of community onto the ancient past. It's something more weird and wonderful than that. And then the skills and the downtime phase and the questions that the game asks us and the way the adventures are written in just a few pages because it's really short, which is another thing I like about it, uh, Speedrun really weaves community into the heart of the game and it gives you characters who are actually meaningfully part of their communities and not just atomized individual heroes. And for me, that makes the action more exciting because the stakes are always higher when characters are rooted in a social world. And it makes the game feel real and grounded in a way that I guess is kind of bizarre, really, for something that's full of strange religions and elves who are trees and ducks that are sentient uh, and imprisoned by strange salt spirits and etc. etc. And that's the other thing that makes this game particularly special to me, the really weird and delightful quality that it has. Not weird for the sake of being weird, but richly imaginative and original, as fantasy should be. Running one of the campaigns at the moment, the Ironheart Wars, uh, basically the characters meet some morally ambiguous iron-worshipping werewolves on a spiritual quest after the dirt god murdered their deity, have to decide what to do. It has poetry and spirituality and violence and gross monsters and strange magic. Uh, it's just really great. The game has simple mechanics that are easy to understand. It has a campaign structure built around six seasons that is really strong and thematic. Uh, it's short. I said, I said that already. It's designed to be easily printed and shared with players, which I also really value. And it's just consistently produced really beautiful, evocative moments in play. Uh, so... For all those reasons, super excited to run more, to see the game and its setting continue to develop, and that's what makes Speedrun my favourite game of 2023. Hi, I'm Harper, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. I got a chance to try out a whole bunch of really fantastic games this year. My local gaming group even indulged me in an exploration of OSR-style games that was eye-opening for me. 
But the game I want to call out this year is one that surprised me in an unexpected way, and that is Forbidden Lands. My first experience with Forbidden Lands was as a game master, and even though I read through the Game Master's Guide, I have to admit I wasn't really paying much attention to how the book suggested I run the game. And uh, it didn't totally blow up in my face, but none of us at the table were particularly impressed either. I, I ran it like a normal sword and sorcery adventure. We kicked things off in a tavern. There was an adventure hook, a little bit of travel to get to the adventure. Um, and the journey mechanics, which Forbidden Lands is kind of known for, felt like they were just getting in the way, too fiddly, too involved. Um, we played for about three sessions, and then I put the books uh, on my shelf. However, a friend of mine decided to pick up the GM mantle and run a session, but he actually took the advice in the Game Master's Guide seriously and kicked things off by dropping us on a random hex in the middle of a map and said, which direction do you want to go? And unlike the first time that we played, we all had a blast. The game just kind of clicked in a way that it didn't when I had run it, that sense of wandering an unexplored wilderness and having to fight for your simple survival, the, the world being dangerous and unknown, the rules and the themes came together really beautifully, and, and I just fell in love with the game. So my favorite game of 2023 is Forbidden Lands because it taught me a tough lesson about how the same game can feel very differently depending on how I approach it. And sometimes, probably actually more like most of the time, I need to keep a more open mind when I approach a new game. So anyway, I hope you all have a fantastic new year. Cheers. Hello, my name is Lowell. Pronouns he, him. It's me again. I was at the top of the show and I have returned. I'm here with Sherry Stewart. We are co-hosts of the former Gauntlet podcast over the last several years. And we're going to talk about the games from 2023 that we have as our game of the year in a couple of categories, because this is what we do uh, because we're doing the editing and all this stuff. We get a chance to uh, like talk a little bit more than maybe we ought to about these things. So Sherry, we played in a lot of the same games this year, but a lot of different games from one another this year. So mm -hmm. Where do you want to start with your picks? I think I might start with some games that I mentioned in previous years, but when I played them again, I couldn't help but rediscover just how much I enjoy those. And they're kind of twin together. I got to play in a quarterly of Hit the Streets um, run by Rich Rogers. It's also a game that he wrote. He was testing a new set of mechanics for it. Uh, so we got to play for a good 12 sessions, 11, 12 sessions. And it was dynamite, sort of flyweight superhero game that is just always so satisfying because it is really built around getting all the role play in, getting to do cool things, but also having like really down to earth street level problems and situations that you're dealing with, it is a satisfying game for heroes where it isn't all about wonky mechanics and, you know, dicing up a better character than anyone else. It's about you play what you want to play and what fits within the, the world. 
Mm-hmm. And you just end up having a satisfying game. It just delivers that. And it's quick and easy. And whenever I play it, I'm always like, yep, this is the supers game I always wanted. Um, and then the other one I got to play again this year and I went, yay, was Nahal. I love this game. It is such a weird, wonderful BBTA game about sort of strange, indigenous Mexican magics. Uh, being used against Catholicism, Catholicism and their angels, and but on this sortable, sort of also street level, and it is one of those PBTA games that first delivered a hey, here's a move that isn't you know a Mad Lib on all the other PBTA moves, but instead is just here, you can do this. Your character can do this under these situations that are really kind of big and powerful and delightful when you get to see them in the game. It always delivers for me. So this is my first first one set of things. How about you? I I think what I'm going to start with is I have the uh, my sort of three categories. Oh, you have and, categories. Yeah, let's let's start with that. So there are games that I wrote. I don't want to pick any of them as my game of the year, but I had some amazing hacks and reskins that I did this year that I play tested. I did another round of my rewrite of the Veil Veil Iterations, which is gone. I really enjoyed that. My drift of a Changing the Lost PPTA hack, now called Hearts of Yokai was really good and i really enjoyed that and i did a couple of versions of a fantasy samurai version of free from the yoke which is based on legacy and at first it was kind of an l5r hack and then i converted it into sort of a generic samurai fantasy hack and it was really good like it was really good all of those things are still all in progress still being made but i went back and as I did the previous year, I ran another arc of numberless secrets. As you know, you played in this, mm-hmm. which was my Hearts of Wulin game adaptation to Mysteries, which borrows elements from Apocalypse Key's mystery solving system. And that's present in the Hearts of Wulin Worlds supplement. And did another two mysteries for it. And it was great. It was so it was good. Great. So like of the things that I wrote that I got to play and run this year, that was that was dynamite. So I, I have to go with that, that Hearts of Lynn numberless secrets. It had legs. We did what, three separate mysteries and just two. Two just in that two. quarterly. And in that quarterly, but didn't feel rushed or too slow. Okay. So so back to you. So there are games that I fear that I am going to pay before I play them. Um, And typically anything that gets even adjacent to the mythos, I'm often very, oh, this again. But I ended up playing Fearful Symmetries um, with you and a set of the Brits from Open Hearth. And it was delightful and completely different in the sense that instead of the sort of usual mythos 
that we had. It was sort of English folk magic, folklore, and it was scary and creepy. And though the mythos may in fact have been adjacent in that world, it was far enough removed that I didn't get any of that bad taste. I just got a really scrambling, desperate story about bizarre hidden world that people who have trained themselves in this this all this art this occult magic know about and i got to play as an american in this brit setting british setting and it was good choice because i couldn't say any of the place names right and and i didn't know a lot about the locations that we we're in so it because the magic is so tied to the locations it was very fun to be introduced to these places in England. And since it was set in 1930s, it was very different for all of us, either by time or by just, just being completely unfamiliar with them. So we had a wonderful time just in that it was a wonderful setting, but it also was this, what was the system again? It's called- um, it's Trail of Cthulhu. Trail of Cthulhu. Um, it was just good and clean and worked really well. To, to build onto that, I think I want to I, I go next. I was going to talk about my favorite setting thing, mm. not actual role-playing. And I think it it's it's definitely Fearful Symmetries, written by Steve Dempsey. It has a main core book with a brilliant, very open setting GM toolkit. And then there's a secondary player-facing set of occult tales and things. And it, all together, it, it really really is interesting and and holds together i mean there were other settings things that i i like this year that i came back to a couple of times particularly star trek in both a fate version and uh, star trek adventures that i love but there was something about the the way that fearful symmetries developed that story and the players got into it that was really magnificent it's a great setting book. And if you're playing Trail of Cthulhu or anything, if you're interested in all sort of closer to real life occultist kind of tales, it's a it's a great book to pick up. It's just there's so much fodder for good story and things to be. Yeah, watching it is. It was lovely. All right. So I know that you have two games with the same base system that are on your list of, of possible picks of the year. Yes. So, and we've gone back and forth about this quite a bit. So tell us what those two are and why you are picking the one you are. I do think that the forged in the dark set of games that are coming out are starting to hit some real momentum uh, with designers who are picking up that system and making tweaks and changes to it that are significant enough to give a different feel to the pacing of the game and what it can do, but still clearly forged in the dark. They have the same basic sort of play cycle and thing, a cycle that really helps players um, know that they're turn is coming up and it's going to be a significant option to do something that counts and and 
that there are different kinds of turns that give you different things. This is this is what Forge in the Dark systems do well. And this year I got to play two of them. Essentially, this year it played Mid-Year Mountain Home, which is a story about, or essentially a game that's about a dwarven settlement. And there's different kinds of settlements that can be, but it leans into the crew sheet and it turns it into the creation of that settlement. So it's sort of a significant set of changes to the crew sheet as much as anything that's going on. It ended up being a lot of fun. We got great story out of it. We got really good characters. By the time we got through that arc, we were super invested in the place, the people, all of the the, the area that was around us. It was an incredibly good game, regardless of what system it was. But I do think that Forge in the Dark did it a lot of good in the sense of that cycle being very fruitful for the idea of building through through year and then larger spans of time. And then the other one was Girl by Moonlight, uh, which is it was delivered via Kickstarter. And um, we got the book this year and we played it late this year. We're, we're still, you know, we just finished the, the series and it's brilliant. When I read it, when I looked at it, I wasn't sure how it was going to work. It seemed like I'm used to playing Forge in the Dark. I was going, Ooh, it's kind of, you don't have a lot of dots. You're not, you don't have much in the way of skills and you're doing these things. I don't know how this is going to work. You'll be just failing and failing and failing. And then we got into the play and it sort of, unfolded itself like a beautiful origami and turned into just a tense, intensely <laughs> sort of strategic and tense set of plays. Mm -hmm. I mean, just use the system just to create tension and then deliver and give you all kinds of options that you didn't think you had until you got it. It's incredibly built on team play. Those two are just incredible games. So, so if if you're taking two as your number one, I'm also going to take two as my number one, with Mountain Home being a close runner-up third on this because I okay. do think it's so good. It is good. I think that Apocalypse Keys. I ran two parallel series of that early on this year, mm -hmm. with two different groups with different sets of mysteries. And it was great. Like, it was really cool stuff. It's so rich and filled with all kinds of bizarre stuff in conception and story and characters. And it was it was great. So it's definitely one of my two. And the other one is, is Girl by Moonlight. Girl by Moonlight is really good. And it's a game... That as as you said, Sherry, I read it and I had some expectations, but then when I actually got it to the table and playing, it was so much better. Like I thought it was kind of cool mm -hmm. reading it through and kind of figuring it out, but once we got it into play, just it's it's a game, both both Apocalypse Keys and Girl by Moonlight that I'm like, I have all these ideas for new play sets and new stories and things like that. It's just, it's just been dynamite. So a, a, a great year overall. 
Yeah, and there are different play sets for Girl by Moonlight, and I would happily go and play each of them in turn and go back to ones I've already played, to the one we've already played. I just, it, it's really strong. And Apocalypse Keys, I would always have that on my list, but I didn't get to play it this year because I was playing a lot of other really yeah. awesome games. And so it was, it was a pretty good year. It was a really fine year. Hey, everybody. This is KCT, and I'm here to tell you about my favorite game of the year. Got to start with a shout-out to Don't Kill a Bird with a Baseball by Rat Bastard Games. It's a three-page game about trying to avoid the inevitability of fate framed on the infamous day that Randy Johnson killed a bird with a baseball. It's a simple, multiverse kind of game that is an absolute blast. Played it not that long ago, and it might have been the most fun single session I've played all year. It's hard for me to imagine a world where my favorite game of the year this year is not Apocalypse Keys, but it just got edged out. However, it has to get a mention in since how much I like that game and the doors it opened in my brain. So big ups to Ray for that. Also, side note, uh, if it wasn't for Ray's promotion in the community, I might not have ended up here at all. So big thanks to Ray. My actual favorite game of the year, though, this year has to be Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast. A slice-of-life game about found family and a magical bed and breakfast that plays out through individual chapters. The game has legacy mechanics and unlockable content that changes your instance of the bed and breakfast into a unique and bespoke thing. It seems simple, but the interaction between narrative and mechanics gets increasingly nuanced and complex through the book, and it's, it's mind-blowing. I've had a blast every single time I've played it, whether it's with one player or five, and it's really cool to see how people play the same character in different and similar ways what common threads get pulled, and how unique everyone's play is. Just a ton of fun to watch happen. For a game that uses pre-made characters and set scenarios, the amount of variety it produces continues to surprise and amaze me. I have to also mention that this is a game that got my college gaming group back to the, albeit virtual, table after over a decade of not playing games together. So, yeah. My favorite game of the year is definitely Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast. Uh, super glad to be here and getting to play it with folks. Hope to see everybody around, maybe even at the bed and breakfast. Hi, my name is Stevie P and I played more games this year than I could have named last year. Games like Don't Kill a Bird with a Baseball and Rely a Watch and Wickedness. But if I had to pick a game of the year, it would have to be Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast. Um, that game is so charming and brilliantly and elegantly and thoughtfully crafted um, in a way as to make it simple on its surface, but complex in its depth. And um, I've had so much fun playing it with my friends. It's, uh, it's wholesome, which I think fills a needed uh, space in the gaming world. And um, the, the character templates are written in such a way as to allow a myriad of interpretations. And yet still somehow, no matter who's playing the character and how they're playing them, the same chords are struck that just make every chapter fit together and come off so nicely. And... It's funny, it's poignant, um, it can be sad, it can be happy, uh, it can be action-packed. It's really just everything you would want to look for in a game, and I would highly recommend it to anyone. Hello, my name is David M.K., 
he him pronouns, and my choice for the 2023 Open Hearth Game of the Year is Hearts of Camelot by Adrian Randall. I had the pleasure of playing two different playtests of this game, separated by just under a year. Why I chose Hearts of Camelot for 2023 is because of how well the more recent game series titled Once and Forever seemed to me as a player to support the game, the genre, and our story without any unnecessary mechanics. I played Idel, a half-giant champion, denied his knighthood until he completed a quest for the princess of whom he was loyal, while also in love with an otherworldly presence bound to a meteor. The game was expertly run by our evocative GM, Mads. Mads brought the drama and supporting characters to life while managing the system and saying yes to many player-based ideas. I also had the pleasure of being in the company of two amazing players. Chris, who played a wheeling and dealing sorcerer knight who cared more than he wanted to admit, and Rod, who played an errant knight who was brave enough to fight for what he wanted and pursue his passion no matter the cost. Thank you again, and this is my choice for the 2023 Open Hearth Game of the Year. Hello everybody, here's Gerrit Reininghaus from Germany, or to be precise, Bonn. I have a favorite game, and it has something to do with eating oranges under the shower as an actual part of the game. This is a game by Hazel Dixon, and they have written it for the Golden Cobra Challenge, and this is also where you can find it, since the Golden Cobra is an open archive where all participants in the annual competition are obliged to offer their game as a text version for free so it's a fantastic archive in any case but in this game eating oranges you play in character a little bit and then you go under the shower to devour an orange together this seems to have been a fetish or a taboo and um, doing this together while playing online and therefore being in your safe private space and just going fully into a fetish which maybe is not yours maybe it is yours doesn't matter but in character it is yours and then raving about your experience directly afterwards together again in an online session is for me a fantastic realization of the genre live action online game a shortly lark and something i can recommend to everybody um, these games which contain a physical a haptic component which go very close to your intimacy and make you able to talk about taboos and about fetishes which nobody should be ashamed for. Um, this, for me, is a kind of game which I admire. And so thank you, Hazel, for this kind of game, because it made my life in 2023. And all the best to the Open Half community. See you soon. Hi, this is Mike Ferdinando. Game of the Year 2023. Going to be a hard one to answer, depending on how I look at the question. So I think I'm going to cheat a bit and answer it from different perspectives. Game of the Year at Open Hearth. I have to be honest, I didn't play with Open Hearth all that much this year. So looking at the games I played with or ran with OHG in 2023, the one that stands out was Fall of Magic by Ross Komen. Fall of Magic is a GM-less, diceless story game about a journey across a fantasy landscape. In the game, 
The characters escort a shared NPC called the Magus from one side of a richly detailed map. Player characters have no statistics or scores, just a name and an epithet chosen from a short list provided on the map. You might be Harp, Apprentice of Ravenhall, or Azure, Fugitive of Stormguard. That's pretty much all you have to go on. There are barely any game mechanics at all. As the characters move across the map, players take turns choosing story prompts printed on the map. I ran a three-session series with Open Hearth for myself and three other players, and we narrated our way across the whole map. The story we told was one of transformation, regret, sacrifice, and ultimately hope. Fall of Magic is a profoundly beautiful game, and I would encourage everyone to give it a try. Game of the Year as my biggest RPG accomplishment. I have been playing tabletop RPGs since 1981. Most of that time was in the trad side of things. I have played a lot of D&D and other games in the D&D family. But in my 40 years of play, one thing I had never done was to play out a full multi-year campaign, taking a character from level 1 to the highest levels of play, and to also bring that campaign to a conclusion. I did that this year. This is in a home group made up of people that I've been playing with since the early 90s. We ran the Shattered Star Adventure Path for Pathfinder First Edition. We started that game in November of 2020 with a party of first-level characters, and we concluded that game in April of 2023 at 18th level. This was 87 sessions over two and a half years. I've never done that before. I will probably never do it again, but I'm very happy to have done it. Game of the Year as my biggest high as a GM. Uh, It was just this past weekend at PAX Unplugged in early December. I was running games with Games On Demand, and the game I was running was Back Again from the Broken Land by Leah and Alexi Sargent. I happened to get the first and last sessions of the convention, and I ran the same game both times for different sets of players. Both of those games were absolutely fantastic, but the second one really stood out to me. I ran this game for a table of four players who had no experience with RPGs outside of D&D. They all completely bought into the to PBTA techniques of shared narrative, bouncing story ideas off of each other, and reincorporating things that other people had added to the table. They all completely bought into it. Even though it was day three of the convention, I felt like I was firing on all cylinders as a GM. The characters' epilogues were just perfect in light of the game. And after the game was over, they all told me that it was their favorite game of the con, that they were all very excited to bring this game back to their tables and to look at other story games in the future. It's been a week since that session, and I'm still riding that high. So I hope listing three games as my game of the year isn't too much of a cheat, but there you have it. I'm very much looking forward to playing more games with Open Hearth in 2024. Hi folks, this is David S. This is the third time I've spoken about my game of the year for the Open Hearth, and this year was probably the hardest one yet when it came to selecting my favorite game. It's been a pretty busy year, and I haven't gotten a chance to play a whole lot. Now, in past years, I've tended to select games for my game of the year that I played a lot, usually more than 20 sessions. In 2021, that game was Hearts of Wulin, which I still run and play every chance I get. 
In 2022, I was lucky enough to play a full campaign of Night Witches and selected that as my game of the year. This year is a little bit different. Instead of naming a game that I played constantly, I'm selecting a game that I only played once, but which left a tremendously strong impression on me. That game is Bluebeard's Bride. Now, there's very little that I can say about Bluebeard's Bride that hasn't already been said elsewhere, so I'll keep my praise of the system short and to the point. Bluebeard's Bride is one of exceedingly few games I've ever seen that delivers a concept and tone exactly as advertised. Its setup of gothic, psychological, feminine horror receives full marks for delivering on premise as its mechanics, playbooks, and GM instructions all line up to make for an airtight game that provides exactly the sort of horrible Jungian nightmare that many horror games aim for, but can't quite deliver mechanically. In my case, I was lucky enough to get to play through Magpie Games' curated play program. Our GM was highly experienced, had learned about how to run Bluebeard's Bride straight from the original designers, and happened to also be a trauma therapist, which I'm sure added something to the experience. I won't go into the details here, but suffice to say that this GM's telling of Bluebeard's Bride made for what was probably the most messed up session of a role-playing game that I've ever had the chance to play in. Many who have played with me know that I am a big fan of all things horror, so when I say most messed up session of a game ever, I mean it as one of the highest compliments I can give. In the hands of a GM who knows the system well, Bluebeard's Bride can produce one-shots you will talk about for years. Anyway, that's about it for me. Well, my life changed a lot this year, it looks like my taste in games hasn't. Between Hearts of Wulin, Night Witches, and now Bluebeard's Bride, it looks like it was just another Powered by the Apocalypse kind of year. Cheers, and Happy New Year, everybody. Hi, my name is Sabine. I use any pronouns. My favorite game of the year 2023 was the Monster of the Week game that I played with some members of the Open Hearth community. We have been playing in this constellation ever since October 2020. We started out with Pasión de las Pasiones and we progressed to Monster of the Week. We did not play the standard monster hunters on the job all the time, very efficient people. What we played was more akin to monster hearts, hunting the monster of the month, or befriending the monster of the month, uh, or figuring out how to solve problems with magic in the end. It was wild, it was dramatic. Our initiate, which is the playbook that is part of an organization, messed up her first role with the organization ever since. The organization has been a huge problem before this group. We got people tried to blow us up. Um, somebody got to be a vampire. I switched my own playbook from the flake to the spell slinger because my character believed at a certain point that all problems could be solved by magic and she was never really proven wrong until the end, maybe. It had a really epic finale, and our GM, Pocket, has made sure that all of us could deal with our own messes, and it was a ton of fun. It was the best game. 
particularly because of the group I was playing in, but also because it is a really fun game system that allows you to do a lot of stuff with monster hunters and their shenanigans. It is a PBTA game, playbooks and things like that. And we rolled a lot of stuff. And I, in that game, rolled very well, mostly, which might have added to its appeal, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, anyway, this is my favorite game. This was my favorite game of the year 2023. Um, there are runners up. I really enjoy the Changing Hearts of Yokai version we are currently playing because I roll badly all the time and our GM Lowell is really good at making that into such fun moments for me as a player, if not for the character. Hey, this is Dan Brown. I am a regular player and facilitator on Open Hearth. In 2023, I really had to step back from playing a lot of games. Uh, my schedule didn't really allow it. Uh, so um, I didn't get to play as much as I normally would have liked. However, as I look back on the year, I did get to play a lot more than I realized. Um, I got to participate in the Open Hearth um, shared hearth, uh, event. And I ran Lord, why have you forsaken me? Which is a little, uh, game that I designed based on the Aegon system. And I ran uh cyborg for the first time, uh, which was great. We had a lot of fun with that. I did, as I emerged from my sort of schedule woes, I got to play in a game of good society with, uh, uh, run by Agatha and, uh, with Lowell and others in that game. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, and here at the end of the year, I'm getting to playtest a game that I designed called World of Spies. I'm just doing a quick two-shot. Uh, it's my homage to Top Secret in uh, condensed PBTA form. But I would have to say that my game of the year I played in January. It was arranged by Donna. Uh, it was um, just three of us. And Donna uh, facilitated uh, a game called BCing You. We, I think, played about four sessions of it. It's a game based on the television show The Prisoner, which was a childhood favorite of mine. If you're not familiar with The Prisoner, The Prisoner is about a secret agent who gets uh, kidnapped and imprisoned in a mysterious faraway village in an attempt to extract information from him. Uh, we got to uh, relive uh, The Prisoner and um, <clears throat> uh, got to uh, indulge in some sort of 1960s weirdness, uh, which is when the show is from. And it was really, really a lot of fun. And it uh, brought back a lot of fond memories of me enjoying that TV show um, and uh, bringing some of those um, kind of unusual tropes uh, to bear. So Be Seeing You was my game of the year on Open Hearth. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Madeline Colley. Mads for short. She, they pronouns. And I've played many games off and on Open Hearth. I love collaborative narrative, where everyone contributes something to the story. I enjoy my horror in Surreal Doses, where reality changes according to your perception and the descent deeper into a darker personality. I've played many games over the past year between my long series and one-shots or two-shots that I've played or ran, and I really love how Trophy, some gold, mostly dark, has permeated my gaming life. For those unfamiliar, 
Trophy Dark by Jesse Ross is a role-playing game adapted from Graham Walmsley's Cthulhu Dark, and also based in Blades in the Dark by John Harper. It is not a game of brave adventurers slaying dragons and dragging gold back to town. It is a horror story of treasure hunters meeting tragic ends in a haunted forest that doesn't want them there. The world the core book plays in is called Kaldur in a dark fantasy setting, but there is much third-party material playing in other metaphorical forests, such as the Minnesota State Fair, Brian Seiko's Butter Princess, or out in space in a futuristic dystopian colony of worlds, Allura by Alicia Furness. Character generation is based on choices of occupation and background, which have their own skills to apply towards fictionally and mechanically positioning an outcome, and each character has a drive that keeps them going through the journey, sometimes to the point of obsession. There's also the choice of having rituals, access to dark magic that could push characters into ruin, leading them deeper, opening themselves up to the darkness of the forest. Structure is simple. Five rings in the character's journey to their goal, each ring with their own terrors and temptations. Well-written incursions encapsulate the strangeness of the world the characters are traversing through evocative moments, usually towards an overarching theme of the incursion, and conditions are laid on the characters with flavorful relish. I love that players have license to add details to the world, what they see and experience, through prompts at each ring, and when presenting fellow players with devil's bargains, no matter what, which will affect the characters regardless of role results. These probing questions allow players to see through their characters' eyes and allows me as the GM to listen in on characters' deepest fears. <laughs> I always enjoy running these games, because there's proof of playability. No two tables ever duplicate their experiences going through the same incursion, even when presented with the same structural elements in each ring. There is something about the improvised situation that really sparks creativity, and even the most textbook playstyle has moments of sheer genius when offering a devil's bargain, or even narrating their own end, whether it be at the hands of a fellow character, or being lost to the forest. I by no means have finished my delve into the core Trophy Dark incursions, or the third-party published material, to which I hope to add some of my writing in the future. I enjoyed this game in 2023, and will continue for the foreseeable future. Welcome to the forest. Hello, Thomas here from the Indie RPG Newsletter. And this year was the first time I got to play Apocalypse World, and that was amazing. But it is not my favorite game of the year. My favorite game of the year goes to one of its descendants that everyone listening has probably heard of, but you know, I've got to shout it out one more time. Passion de la Passiones. Like, this game absolutely rocked. My favorite part about Passion is the fact that it's fundamentally a PvP game. It requires players to be pointed at each other and make moves against each other and really kind of get tangled up with each other. And if you don't do that, I don't think the game really works as well. But even as it is, PvP in that sense, it doesn't have any of the baggage or stigma that comes with PvP. You know, you're not stealing people's gold without their consent. You're not, you know, killing somebody. I mean, you might you might kill somebody in this game, actually, but you know, if they die, it's because they chose to die and specifically didn't choose to come back with the cool eye patch, because that's that's an option. I think being labeled as a Spanish telenovela game makes Passion seem extremely narrow and potentially 
puts off a lot of people who are like like me don't watch spanish telenovelas and like obviously then it's not a game for you right but uh, i think if you're interested in games at all there's just so much interesting stuff happening mechanically in pasion that maybe that's enough but also i have heard a rumor that jeff stormer famous superhero aficionado and host of the seminal party of one podcast once said his favorite superhero system was actually pasion de la pasiones and by that he meant playing x-men with pasion and i think if that sounds at all interesting to you yeah you need to check out this game it's cool as hell well thanks everyone for listening and making it through this episode as many of you know this was a transition year for the community in late 2022 the publishing side of gauntlet asked if we would spin off into an independent entity to allow both organizations to focus on their core strengths it took us several months to get the new structures in place but thanks to a dedicated team community members we were able to launch in early 2023 with new logos calendar app website and more i want to give thanks to everyone who helped out with that special thanks also goes out to john grim the developer of playable our calendar app whose ongoing efforts continue to make that stronger for us if you're interested in learning more about open hearth gaming community you can check out our website at openhearthgaming.com that has information about how we operate our code of conduct links to our massive collection of online resources and character keepers details on our special events our actual play video roundups and links to our okay redbubble merch shop we have a patreon patreon.com/openhearthgaming where you can support and follow us you can also follow us on tumblr at open-hearth-rpg you can also follow us on tumblr at open-hearth-rpg on blue sky at openhearthrpg and on mastodon at openhearthrpg@dice.camp If you like actual play videos, you can check out our YouTube channel which has what is arguably the largest collection of AP videos across the most systems anywhere. Rob Abrazado organizes those into playlists by system and campaigns. If you want to see how a game plays, it is worth checking out. Probably a lot of the games that we've talked about on this podcast are available there for you to to reference and see. Thanks once again for listening. If you have feedback or questions, you can contact us at openhearthgamingcommunity@gmail.com. And listeners, that's our show. Mm-hmm.